Norfolk Four, as told by Emma Ohm. Today, I'm going to be telling the story of the Norfolk Four. These four men, Daniel Williams, Derek Tice, Joe Dick Jr., and Eric Wilson, were all charged with the rape and murder of Michelle Moore Bosco. They were falsely convicted due to being coerced into giving false confessions. In July of 1999, Michelle Moore Bosco was raped and murdered in her apartment in Norfolk, Virginia. Police began by targeting her neighbor, Daniel Williams, but after threatening him with a death penalty, they found that the DNA from the crime scene did not match Daniel's. They then focused on three men, whom they believed to have gang-raped and murdered Michelle. These men were Joseph J. Dick Jr., Eric Wilson, and Derek Tice. However, none of the evidence from the scene of the crime revealed that it was in fact gang, gang rape. After DNA tests revealed that the DNA from these men did not match the DNA at the scene, the police charged three other men, but these charges were dropped because Derek Tice wouldn't testify against them. Later, the police received a letter from Omar Ballard saying that he had committed the murder and had done it on his own. The DNA from the scene even matched Ballard's, but the other four weren't off the hook yet. Eric Wilson received eight and a half years in prison for rape, but pled not guilty. Daniel Williams tried to withdraw his guilty plea, but ended up with a life sentence. Joseph Dick Jr. was also given a life sentence. Derek Tice was given two life terms for capital murder and rape. By the end of the trial, authorities were saying that there had been eight people involved in the rape and murder of Michelle Moore Bosco. Fortunately, after 20 years, all of them were full pardons, but the road to get there was long. Eric Wilson got out of prison in 2005. Joseph Dick Jr., Derek Tice, and Danny Williams received conditional pardons, but they still had to register as sex offenders. Tice was granted a full exoneration in 2011. Dick and Williams were both declared innocent in 2016, and in 2017, all four men received full pardons from the governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe. All four of them were U.S. Navy veterans who spent almost 12 years in jail for something they didn't do. The detective who gave all the false information had a history of coercing false confessions. Omar Ballard, who committed, who admitted several times in court to committing the murder, is now serving two life sentences. There was no evidence linking the other four men to the murder. False confessions are not uncommon in cases where the police put suspects under extreme pressure when interrogating them. In this case, the police did the same thing to all four of these men all had clean records and were only suspects suspects based on false witnesses. The only reason Daniel Williams was a suspect was because one of Michelle's friends told the police that she saw Williams leave Michelle's apartment late at night, which turned out to be false. The same thing happened to Tice. Derek Tice was threatened with a lethal injection if he wouldn't confess. After 20 hours of exhausting interrogation, he confessed to a crime he did not commit. Joseph Dick was Daniel's roommate. He had a perfect alibi, as he was working on a Navy ship that night and was instructed to sleep there. If he would have left, his admiral would have been notified, which he was not. Despite all the rock-hard evidence confirming Joe's innocence, he was still forced to admit to being involved in the murder. Eric Wilson was also coerced in con into confession of this crime. However, there was absolutely no physical DNA evidence against him or any of the other men that were convicted. Eric Wilson states in a press release, I speak for all four of us in expressing our deepest thanks to Governor McAuliffe, who has given us our lives back with these full pardons. 
We have been haunted by these wrongful com- convictions for 20 years, which have created profound pain, hardships, and stress for each of us and our families. We now look forward to rebuilding our reputations and our lives. According to a case update by Laura Bernstein, the Norfolk Four were wrongfully convicted for the 1997 rape and murder of Michelle Bosco, based largely on wildly inconsistent and uncorroborated false confessions, each made to to the police after lengthy, high-pressured interrogations. All four sailors had no criminal record and no DNA or physical evidence of any kind tied them to the crime. Today, we are going to start by talking about Daniel Williams. So, Michelle's husband came home and found her dead on the floor on their bedroom. And he immediately ran to his neighbors, Daniel Williams, and asked for his help. Daniel called 911 and tried to help Michelle's husband the best he could. When the police arrived, they figured only one person did it, not multiple. The lead detective asked a friend of Michelle's who she thought did it. Tamika Taylor, who had only known Michelle for a month, told him it was probably the next-door neighbor, Daniel. Daniel was a machinist mate in the Navy. He was just married, and he and his wife thought she was pregnant, but it turned out she had ovarian cancer. So that night, he was supposed to go to dinner with his parents and his wife. Before they left, he had to go answer some questions for the police after Michelle was murdered. One hour with the police turned into 13 years. During the interrogation, they began accusing Daniel of the rape and murder. They made him take a polygraph test, which he passed, but they told him he failed it and he needed to start telling the truth. That was the beginning of a very intense interrogation, which lasted almost nine hours. Daniel stood his ground until a new detective came in. This was Detective Ford. He is very intimidating and known for coercing people into giving false confessions and just pressures them so much and makes them so extremely upset and uncomfortable that they just break down and say they did it, even if they didn't. There is so much psychological pressure in these interrogation sessions. These people can be held in a tiny room for over 24 hours without sleeping or eating. And people can break just because of that. So when people are so confused as to why these guys confessed to doing something they didn't do, they got to put themselves in their shoes. They are sleep deprived, hungry, scared, and probably extremely frustrated that this guy is screaming in your face to tell the truth when you know you didn't do it. But the guy won't let you go until you say that you did. It's your only way out. Daniel's confession didn't even match the facts of the crime. Daniel said, quote, he hit her with a shoe and with his hands. But that is completely inconsistent with what happened. She was, in fact, stabbed and strangled. After the detectives found that out from the autopsy report, they made him come back in and made him change his confession to correlate with the report. Daniel never even called a lawyer to help him out because Daniel knew he was innocent. So why would he need a lawyer? Daniel was arrested, and the case was closed for about four months. The detectives thought they got the right person and didn't think anything of it. Until the DNA test came back and revealed that the DNA from the scene in Daniel's did not match. Instead of dismissing Daniel as a suspect, they kept the DNA test hidden and began to pick on his roommate, Joe Dick Jr., Joe struggled in school and was pretty socially awkward, but he was a nice, shy kid that no one would ever believe to have done something like this. He was also questioned by Detective Ford, who 
basically convinced him that he had been involved in the crime, even though he hadn't. Joe had also taken a polygraph test and was told he failed. They never released the results of that test. The interrogation was very similar to Daniel's in the sense that it was so awful and intense and almost unbearable to deal with mentally. Ford kept telling him that they could prove he was there and he did it. So Joe finally broke. He confessed and he said to, quote, get them off my back. Joe was arrested and thrown in jail. He actually did get a lawyer, but even his lawyer thought he was guilty. Mr. Fabanero, his lawyer, actually called Joe's parents and told them that their son was guilty and that he had definitely been involved in the crime. He thought there was no way to get around that confession. Joe just went throughout the whole case telling people what they wanted to hear so they wouldn't hammer on him so much. One key fact here is that Joe included a man called Eric Wilson in one of his confessions. Joe involved Eric in the crime and Eric was arrested. Eric had just gotten off his Mediterranean cruise. He was also in the movie, and he said he hardly knew Joe. So now I'm going to read a comparison of Eric's statements with some of the physical evidence. So Eric said that Daniel and Joe raped Ms. Bosco in the living room. The physical evidence states that Ms. Bosco was found in the bedroom. Eric said that he pinned Ms. Bosco down while Daniel raped her. The physical evidence states there was no bruises on Ms. Bosco's wrist or arms and no other defensive scrimmages or injuries on her body. Eric said that Daniel hit Ms. Bosco in the face. Ms. Bosco had no bruises on her face or head. Eric said that Daniel and Joe got rough with Ms. Bosco during the rape. Ms. Bosco had no bruises or other injuries anywhere on her body except the strangulation marks on her neck. Eric said that he woke up the next day with a fresh scratch mark on his arm, and he thought Ms. Bosco scratched him. Eric's DNA was not found on the blood underneath Ms. Bosco's fingernails. Only Omar Ballard's DNA was identified on the fingernail clippings. This just goes to show that when they were being interrogated, they were just put under so much pressure that they just had to make things up and confess just to get out of it because it was so awful. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about Robert Glenn Ford. He was a very corrupt detective um, in the district of Norfolk. So this quote from the um, council there said, Today, following a seven-day trial in the federal courthouse in Norfolk, formal Norfolk homicide detective Robert Glenn Ford the detective responsible for the wrongful conviction of the Norfolk Four was convicted of multiple counts of extortion and lying to federal law enforcement officials. The evidence heard by the jury strongly supports this verdict and further establishes a larger pattern of unlawful and dishonest conduct on the part of Ford during his tenure as a homicide detective in the Norfolk Police Department. The jury heard from more than 25 witnesses, including FBI agents, police detectives, Ford's own former partner, as well as several defendants. The evidence proved that Ford sought out and accepted tens of thousands of dollars in bribes and then provided perjured testimony and false statements to help drug dealers remain on the streets. As the prosecutors asserted in their closing arguments, Ford was a corrupt cop who conned judges and prosecutors. From the start, the Norfolk Police Department failed in its duty to properly oversee the actions of its rogue police officer. 
For years, the Norfolk Police Department turned a blind eye to Detective Ford's misconduct. Then, rather than objectively investigating serious allegations that Ford accepted thousands of dollars in bribes, or better yet, seeking an independent investigation by an outside agency from the start, the NPD instead assigned two of Ford's former friends and colleagues from the Homicide Squad to conduct what not surprisingly turned out to be a questionable investigation at best. Shockingly, at least, at least one senior NPD officer in the investigation refused to cooperate with the FBI and rebuffed requests from federal prosecutors to even discuss the allegations against Ford. Detective Ford's pattern of rampant, unchecked misconduct included pursuing the Norfolk Four, innocent men convicted of a crime they did not commit. The Commonwealth should no longer allow the grave injustice suffered by the four former sailors, Daniel Williams, Joseph Dick, Eric Wilson, and Derek Tice, to continue. Authorities should immediately concede that the Norfolk Four convictions are invalid and should finally and forever dismiss the charges against them. Justice demands nothing less. End quote. So, so thankfully, our story has somewhat of a happy ending. After so many years, quote, Joseph Dick and Daniel Williams, two of the four innocent Navy veterans known as the Norfolk Four, will no longer face prosecution by the Norfolk Commonwealth Attorney Office. The Commonwealth's decision not to pursue the prosecutions, which was announced in a state court hearing this morning, is further evidence that the Norfolk Four, Mr. Dick, Mr. Williams, Derek Tice, and Eric Wilson are innocent and should now receive full pardons to clear their name once and for all. We are pleased that the Commonwealth has stopped pursuing the wrongful prosecution against Mr. Dick and Mr. Williams, but this case is not over. The Commonwealth wrongly branded these innocent men as murderers and sex offenders and took away two of the most important decades of their lives. Governor McAuliffe should grant full pardons to make it undeniably clear that these men are innocent. My biggest question about these four is how did all four of them get so unlucky? Like the one, um, Daniel Williams didn't even get a lawyer, so he really had no chance. It was just a corrupt detective's word against his. Eric Wilson's lawyer, or I'm sorry, Joe Dick's um, lawyer, completely thought he was guilty and didn't even try to help him told his parents he was guilty and never even did anything to give him a fair trial here's a clip from a um documentary it's called the confessions from pbs frontline and it is eric wilson um stating his thoughts in an interview It's a very difficult thing to explain to someone who hasn't been there. I felt caged and I was scared and I didn't know what to do. Eight, eight and a half hours he was like that. Just never coming down, never. He physically, emotionally wore me down to the point where I just couldn't go anymore. And I just told him what he wanted to hear. My fear was not of what would happen next. It was of Ford. He does not appear that imposing. But 
in the interrogation room, it's different. It's just different. They told me what they wanted to hear, and I repeated it back to them. Everything I said was scripted by Ford. All the details I gave about the apartment were because of photos he showed me of the crime scene. I was so mentally, emotionally drained by them that I didn't care what the truth was. I was willing to tell them whatever they wanted to hear just to make them stop. The confession. So that was actually Derek, Eric, and Daniel all talking about um, how Ford just pressured them and basically forced them to tell the story that he wanted them to say. They didn't really get any chance to plead innocent, really. Here's another clip from the documentary. It was Derek Tice's attorney talking about how unfair they had, and they didn't have enough information at all. Didn't turn the tape on until they were ready to have the full confession. In other words, we were not provided with, because there was no uh, evidence of, no record of, what had occurred for the 10, 12, 15 hours can't remember exactly how much now, but the, the numerous hours that occurred prior to that time in terms of the confessions where he denied, where he said, I wasn't involved, I wasn't there, had they get him from point A to point Z? We don't know because it wasn't it. Since Joe Dick said in one of his statements that Durbin... They didn't even, they didn't tape the full interrogation. They only taped what they wanted them to say. So earlier when I said that um, the other three men that were charged, the charges were dropped because Derek Tice wouldn't testify against them. He states that after sitting in jail for like five or six months, he kind of got his wits about him again and rational thinking kicked in. And he realized that it, he's not going to give these false confessions anymore like he it goes against his morals and he would not send innocent people to jail the police were just picking out random people and making them testify against them and finally Derek said enough is enough and he wouldn't do it so here is his um attorney speaking about the trial where Derek was supposed to testify it's against my morals to send an innocent man jail that was Derek I got to the trial date he couldn't do it they told me I can't do this I cannot throw my friends out of the bus so about a month later I signed the paperwork pulling out of the plea agreement and within a week Rick Pauley Jeffrey Ferris and John Danzer were released so the biggest thing that confuses me is that the police were given this letter written by Omar Ballard that at the end literally said he killed Michelle Bosco. You remember that night I went to mommy's house and the next morning Michelle got killed? Guess who did that? Me. Ha ha. 
Ballard had been in prison for two years after viciously beating a woman in the same apartment complex where Michelle was murdered. He also raped a 14-year-old girl less than a mile away. Both crimes were committed within three weeks of Michelle's murder. So what confuses me is why didn't, like, forget about Ford. Why didn't the police look at that first? Look for somebody in the area who was committing crimes and who actually could have been a possible suspect. Not just pulling random people with no criminal record and no evidence. They literally were handed all the evidence to say that Ballard did it. And they really didn't think anything of it until the very end. And even though they had all of this evidence against Ballard, you would think that the other four would be off the hook. But no, they still had to go to trial. Instead of letting all of the other people go and just focusing on Ballard, they just added him to the list. So now they had eight people involved. They didn't even forget about the other three. They listed all eight people and said that they had all been involved in a gang rape and murder. Completely disregarded that Omar even told them that he acted alone. I think their main motive for keeping, like, including all of those other guys was that they couldn't admit that they were wrong. They had made a huge mistake, and it would look so terrible for them, but they just couldn't admit that they had done all of that so terribly. So they just included everybody, tried to convict everybody, made everybody go to trial, and then instead of just admitting that they were wrong. So now they're saying that Ballard met them in the parking lot and was like, hey, can I join you? And just joined them and committed the crime all together, all eight of them. So now the problem with this trial is Joe Dick. He, they basically forced him to just cooperate and agree with everything that they said and make it sound like, yeah, they were right. So they basically just told Joe that you just agree, you do everything we say, and it'll be okay. We've established that Joe had some problems, per se, and he wasn't the smartest kid in class. And that detective just totally convinced him that he had done it, that he was there, and just totally messed with him psychologically. Here's a statement from Joe. Around the time of Eric's trial, I had started to think or come to the conclusion that, yeah, I was there. I did do this. And that's not a good feeling, thinking that you did something that you never did. Eric's. In conclusion, all four of these men were coerced into giving false confessions by a very corrupt detective named Robert Glenford. They were all put into a very stressful and intense interrogation session, and they all 
just broke and couldn't handle it. And they all gave false confessions and continued to give false confessions in order to prevent themselves from being in that situation again, because it was so mentally degrading and physically exhausting for them. So they were all convicted without any DNA match, without any solid evidence that they were even involved. They were convicted based on wild and crazy assumptions that were never proven. And the police completely ignored the one suspect that could have actually done it. They ignored it until the very end. And they ignored the fact that Omar Ballard even wrote a letter saying that he did it. And Omar even confessed to have done it. And they still wouldn't let the other four go simply because they didn't want to admit to being wrong.